This episode is supported by Vegamore. I'm a month and a half into my Vegamore journey. I don't know if you've ever had a garden and planted seeds, but when that first little growth breaks ground, it's exciting. And on my very head, I can see some new growth in the areas that I've noticed hair thinning before. And it's exciting to see those little babies coming in. I use the shampoo, conditioner, and the grow serum, which have a lovely, mellow, warm citrus smell. I've been consistently using this and it makes my hair feel soft and full. And it's really important to me that I use safe and conscious products whenever I can. And Vegamore is 100% cruelty-free and are never formulated with potentially harmful chemicals like parabens or hormones. Elevate your hair wellness routine this year with Vegamore. For a limited time, get 20% off your first subscription order by going to vegamore.com slash mind and use code mind at checkout. That's V-E-G-A-M-O-U-R.com slash mind, code mind to save 20% on your first order. V-E-G-A-M-O-U-R.com slash mind, code mind. Welcome to Mom and Mind. I'm perinatal psychologist and host, Dr. Kat. There is more to the story than just postpartum depression, and this podcast aims to share it all, from personal stories and lived experience to experts who break down the ups and downs of life from getting pregnant, pregnancy, perinatal loss, and postpartum adjustment to new parenthood. While this is not psychotherapy or medical advice, it is all of the stuff you ever wanted to know about mental health and new parenthood. Welcome back to Mom and Mind. I am your host, Dr. Kat. In our episode today, we are talking with Dr. Darina Alfred. She is a licensed psychologist in the state of Ohio and certified in perinatal mental health. She's the owner of Works of Faith Wellness and Consultation in Columbus, Ohio. This is a private practice centered on perinatal mental health services. She provides individual therapy, workshops, and continuing education that promote health equity for those at the highest risk for complications during pregnancy and postpartum. She has co-authored various publications and refereed workshops on topics related to women's health, racial identity, social justice, and cultural competence. She is also the author of a book, Pregnant with Promise, A Spiritual Journey of Pregnancy, Bed Rest, and Childbirth, a memoir of her journey with loss and pregnancy complications. And that is what we're going to be talking a lot about today, some of her personal journey through her loss. She also talks about the effects of the pandemic that she's seen on clients who she works with, and very specifically how difficult and stressful it has been for Black women dealing with birth and the fear of loss. Another thing she touches on that I think is really, really important is that it's really very different to feel something in your own body versus be able to label it as trauma or some diagnosis of some kind. Oftentimes people's lived experiences are very different or it may be hard to connect it to any specific kind of diagnosis. Because we are very complex, and we're more complex than what a diagnosis or diagnostic criteria can fulfill. So I'm really excited to have you here from Dr. Alfred, and you can get connected with Dr. Alfred at worksoffaith.net, on Instagram at Darina Alfred, and find her book, Pregnant with Promise, on Amazon. So let's get started and meet Dr. Alfred. Welcome, Darina. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm very excited to talk with you today and to learn about your work and the book you've written and all that you're doing in the field of perinatal mental health. So yeah, please do start off wherever you'd like on um, how you got into the specialty. 
Yes, I'd like to say I kind of fell into it, but it seems like those of us in the field kind of naturally get there um, and sometimes as part of our own personal experiences. And so I would certainly say that that has also been the case for me. I had a history of an early pregnancy loss, the first trimester. And at that point, you know, really did not understand, came to understand um, that pregnancy loss in the early trimester is, you know, approximately one in four. And so, you know, just kind of took it in stride as, you know, this is something that happens. And then years later became pregnant again, really did not give much thought to um, that earlier experience and that, you know, it might have any impact on the current pregnancy at the time. Mm-hmm. And eventually, you know, kind of get through the first trimester and at least in my mind at that point felt like, okay, we're safe, kind of gotten out of that first that first trimester. And then in the second trimester, we were between 19 and 20 weeks and had a pregnancy loss at that time. Mm. And very, very traumatic for me, really mm-hmm. difficult. You know, I just recall initially um, just, you know, learning that, you know, I wasn't going to be able to carry the baby to term. Mm. And so I thought, well, okay, when I had the first pregnancy loss, like, okay, this is kind of what they'll do. You know, I'd gone through a DNC procedure before, but they told me that that wasn't possible because of how far along I was and that I would have to deliver. Mm. And that was very upsetting and devastating for me. And so I get through that process and really didn't understand how that was impacting me, um, Mm -hmm. impacting my relationship with my spouse, and also did not recognize the level of anxiety that I started to experience. And it wasn't until I became pregnant the following year again, that I really realized the extent of my anxiety Mm -hmm. and still not quite yet understanding the trauma that occurred from the birth with the previous pregnancy, but, you know, kind of went into this next pregnancy worried about, you know, whether or not the pregnancy would continue. And, you know, thankfully came, you know, through that pregnancy with a live birth, um, my older son, which was really exciting. But boy, I'll tell you that whole pregnancy was um, another form of trauma in some ways in the sense that I was on bed rest for most of the pregnancy. Mm. And at about 20 weeks, kind of symbolically of that last pregnancy, went to a routine appointment and was told that I would have to be on hospital bed rest. Oh, So I was on hospital bed rest for 14 weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yes, there is something about living in mm-hmm. the hospital. <laughs> for 14 weeks, that was really difficult to explain. Um, but I did, I wrote a memoir, and you referenced the book earlier. And that um, the book is really compiled of my journal entries, actually, that began from the previous pregnancy up through my last two pregnancies. Um, mm-hmm. And so it talks about some of the challenges that I had. And, you know, the interesting thing about writing that book is it was very difficult. It took me years to actually mm-hmm. publish the book because it was so painful and I had to yeah. relive as I would edit and look at it. It was mm-hmm. really 
challenging, but also what came from that experience and the experience of birthing our two sons was that um, so much had happened to me emotionally and, and psychologically that I thought, you know, people shouldn't have to feel this way. Right. Um, and so I really decided at some point, not right away, I really did not. It took me years <laughs> um, again to even get to a place where um, I was looking kind of at, you know, well, what's happening with other mothers? And right. I think in part because I had been so traumatized and I needed space and I had, quote unquote, survived. So I needed to focus on the little ones. And mm-hmm. I did that and, and you know, grateful and thankful for that part of the process. But I, you know, then came to realize like, wow, like this is still happening. Like people are mm-hmm. still struggling and this is a really uh, big deal. And so then I began began to shift my attention uh, to perinatal mental health. Mm-hmm. I'm really just within the last um, few years um, in a professional capacity. Mm-hmm. I have the lived experience for many years, but <laughs> the right. professional part for just the past several years. Uh, so you were already a psychologist and working in the field um, as you were going through these, the losses and then the pregnancies. Oh, yes. I was actually in an academic position when I had the first loss and we were in Georgia and kind of part of our story is that um, my spouse was in the military. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) we were moving about in between the different pregnancies and relocating and Mm -hmm. um, it was uh, all quite interesting, but, you know, we're grateful to have gotten through that process. But yes, I've been, you know, in the field many years 2004, 2006 Mm -hmm. license. So yeah, in the field quite a while before I came to this. Right. Um, And just out of curiosity, I guess, sort of partly personally, but also because I hear it so often, did you get any kind of training on any kind of perinatal mental health stuff during grad school or residency or internships or anything? No, I'm sorry. I chuckle because I thought if only I had, <laughs> right, um, I same. probably, yeah, I probably would have understood my experience much better. And mm-hmm. I probably would have, you know, been more effective in working with, mm-hmm. you know, birthers and not just, um, you know, kind of assuming like, oh, yeah, I've worked mm-hmm. with people who are pregnant all the time. And it's like, yeah, but are we doing a good job? <laughs> like, are there <laughs> things that we need right. to, you know, be aware of and mindful and it has been so eye-opening to right. learn that like, wow, this is a whole thing. It's a mm-hmm. discipline. Like there are things um, that guide um, the practice that are very important and mm-hmm. essential for people to know about. So um, I did not get any training, mm-hmm. um, but have since then been making up for it. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I, I think it's just such a, a shame and a loss that that this isn't covered. Uh, in any kind of training and hopefully someday that will change but I don't know I just think sometimes of how much just the landscape of mental health in general would change if everyone were trained in perinatal mental health because this is where the next generation's mental health also starts Um, absolutely anyway I would agree and even thinking about like you know, talking about birth trauma, mm-hmm. you know, of course, well versed and can tell you about the criteria for PTSD. Yeah, right. But when I had the experience from a birth perspective, mm-hmm. I did not match it up. Right. Like I didn't line up what right. my experience was with 
um, trauma or what I had um, experienced. And so I think, you know, as a psychologist, that's kind of an odd thing to say, (laughs) which is, you know, like, hey, how do you not recognize that? Um, But I think it goes to, you know, just goes to say that you can have book knowledge and professional knowledge about things. And when Mm -hmm. you're in a place, sometimes a very vulnerable place of, you know, being pregnant and trying to understand and care for your own body and baby, um, that things may not line up the same way. Um, You know, you don't recognize always, you know, oh, that was anxiety and like, Mm -hmm. oh, that's depression. (laughs) Um, Things that, uh, you know, any other time we'd be very well versed on and and easily, you know, be able to discern in other people uh, may be more challenging for us to see sometimes in ourselves. It is. It really is. Um, Yeah. I thank goodness for other therapists, you know, (laughs) Um, us to go into our own, you know, me go, I go to my own therapist and I just think there's, (laughs) we do need that outside perspective um, because I think we are, um, I don't know if this was your experience, but for me and my experience, I felt very much like, well, I'm, I'm a psychologist. I should be able to handle whatever this is. So even though I knew I didn't feel right, totally. Uh, well, at all, it felt like I should try to feel right and, and yes. kind of be, be, be just in myself about it. But apparently we need help too. Indeed. And yeah, it's so interesting too that you say that because I think the people around me, like even my providers mm-hmm. um, thought, oh, well, she's a psychologist. She's probably right. okay. And right. then I was thinking, um, especially, you know, all the, the weeks that I was in the hospital, you mm-hmm. know, they come in and come out. And I think once that I can recall, I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt and say maybe a couple of times that I have a social worker come in and speak with me mm-hmm. for 14 weeks. That's, That's it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, people, I was not in a great place <laughs> all the time. Yeah. You know, just I think on some level, um, you know, I seemed quote unquote, maybe like I had it together and they knew I was a psychologist. And so Mm -hmm. maybe assumed I had kind of my own strategies Mm -hmm. and skills for managing that. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was very challenging because I had come from um, the place of a previous pregnancy loss, then um, kind of an impending one, which, you know, from what, at least from medically what they said. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was a very um, difficult time emotionally. Right. Yeah. I'm glad you kind of pointed that part out how, you know, there are social workers, there are people in the hospital who, who can kind of attend to these things, but it's still, even with that, I think it's too little. Right. Um, we're really, really lacking in focusing on how these stressful events impact people. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot of change needs to happen. Yes, for mm-hmm. sure. Support for today's episode comes from OneSkin. And for a limited time, my listeners get an exclusive 15% off OneSkin products using the code MIND when you check out at oneskin.co. Well, I've kept up my mini resolution of taking better care of my skin after consistently using OneSkin for several weeks and all is going well. I can't see what's going on at a cellular level, but I can tell you that my skin feels soft and healthy. But they did do some cool research that looked at before and after exposure of the OS1 peptide to skin cells, and the one skin scientist found that the peptide reverses skin's biological age. 
And you can even see that study by Zonari A. et al. in the NPJ Aging Journal. OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, OneSkin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code MIND at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code MIND. After you purchase, they'll ask where you heard about them. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. New Year, healthier skin. That's One Skin. This episode is supported by Ritual. I am by nature and nurture a bit skeptical. I have to see for myself if something works or if it's helpful before I just believe it whole cloth. And I'm open to trying things out to see for myself. And that includes finding strategies for my wellness. I have historically low vitamin D, so it's important for me to take Ritual's Essential 18 because it has D3 in it, and their clinically backed Essential for Women 18 Plus Multivitamin has several other high-quality, traceable key ingredients in clean, bioavailable forms. What I love and have always loved about Ritual is that it's a female-founded company, and it's a B Corp, which means they're holding themselves accountable And not just long-term, but also to the health of people and our planet. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash momandmind. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash momandmind for 25% off. So... Yeah. So I I just find it very inspiring that you were able to all through all of that journal and uh, like take all your own notes for yourself. I don't know if you knew it would be a book or not, but I can't imagine how hard it is to go back through there and and put it all together into some readable form, you know. So thank you for doing that and for everybody who can feel heard and seen through your experience. Yes, I appreciate that. It was I'm quite a vulnerable experience to kind of let, I mean, because these are my, I did not think this was going to be a book and they were my literal innermost thoughts, like my literal journals. And, you know, it was hard to release that to, uh, to whomever would buy a copy of the book, people who knew me, people who didn't know me. And, and, you know, to talk about really difficult things. And one thing I will mention, um, I thought it was interesting and felt so um, much appreciation. You had um, a guest not too long ago talking about coping with fetal diagnoses. Mm-hmm. And with the um, 20, the stillbirth that we had, our son Joshua, um, he had an omphalocele, oh. which the first time I had ever heard anybody talk about it um, outside of the context that we knew it was on your mm-hmm. podcast. Wow. And I thought, wow, how you know amazing that somebody you know, I don't know her personally, but I was like, oh my gosh, somebody knew the experience. And so it is, I think, a good opportunity to appreciate, you know, the opportunity to share my experience with other people and certainly appreciate platforms like this to allow that sharing to occur. I never heard anybody talk about that. So I just had to make note of that. Well, I'm I'm glad um, you're saying that, and and that was uh, the first time that anyone had talked about it here on mm. on this podcast. And we've been going for almost five years. Not saying that none of the other guests had ever de- dealt with anything like that, but I I do think there's there's just a different level of vulnerability, and uh, so with that with that with fetal diagnosis, and I appreciate you sharing that as well here 
because honestly, and, and you know this, I'm sure very well, that the, the more you hear similar yes. things or the same thing, the more uh, normalized it becomes, the less stigmatized it becomes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And especially with loss. So uh, as, I especially appreciate you sharing your experience. Um, yeah. And and I'm I'm sure it has informed you professionally in so many ways. And these are the the folks that you're supporting now. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's amazing to hear people talk about their experiences of loss, um, even in practice now. And I have a private practice. And, you know, even the way that we, you know, assess and um, look for that information, sometimes people don't put it out there until Mm -hmm. you ask. Right, right. And then, and then you, you know, you find and you learn that, yeah, there have been, you know, multiple pregnancies, but there may be, you know, you know, a couple of live births. And so being able to give space for people to talk about their losses and even looking at how those losses may impact pregnancy after loss sure, and parenting, you know, uh, along the way. Um, very interesting, you know, experiences hearing that and, and some of which I can share in, of course, because of my own experience. Mm-hmm. So really looking at, I think, especially anxiety, I think a lot of times people will um, hone in on um, after loss depression and, you know, mm-hmm. certainly relating to like, oh, yeah, someone who has a loss, but certainly have a lot of grief and, you mm-hmm. know, some depression would be understandable. But the anxiety piece, I think, is what people um, don't focus in as much on. And it's also very prevalent. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Is that what you're seeing a lot more of these days? Yes, I think not just for um, people who've experienced loss, but certainly I'm seeing it from that standpoint. But I think with the pandemic and um, just where we are in the, you know, in the our journey in this country with social injustice and racism, um, there absolutely um, I am seeing clinically more anxiety, um, and not just generalized anxiety, the nervousness, difficulty relaxing, excessive mm-hmm. worry kind of thing, but social anxiety, which makes a lot of sense given the mm-hmm. fact that we have been in uh, for the pandemic, um, various states of being in with, you know, different orders and that sort of thing. Our children are being in, um, families are working from home, so they're in. And so going out Mm -hmm. (laughs) after you've been in, so, you know, to varying degrees really is creating anxiety for people who I think otherwise didn't even have like even general anxiety before. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's, I think, something new. And then people, I think sometimes it's hard for people to realize panic when they experience it anyway. But I also am seeing, in addition to the social anxiety, of course, there being more panic symptoms and people, you know, feeling symptoms they've not felt before and not understanding them and wanting, you know, feeling like they need to seek medical attention. And so, you know, doing education around, you know, what is a panic attack? What does it look like? What does it feel like in your body? Doing a lot more of that kind of education. So that I am definitely seeing an increase in practice, as well as just grief and loss, you know, not even from, you know, infant or pregnancy loss, um, but really just the loss of connection for people, you know, going through the pandemic, not being able to connect um, with family, not being able to share 
pregnancies the same way and, Mm -hmm. you know, having those celebrations, showers and all that sort of thing. So it really, I think there's this complicated or complex grief that I am also seeing quite a bit in practice. And as well as what I would say, I don't know if it's that there is this increase in what people are experiencing as trauma so much as maybe there's a greater awareness of it. Mm. And, you know, that's coming from even, you know, race-related trauma Mm -hmm. and stressors and, you know, other forms. But I would say in my clients, I'm definitely seeing a lot more trauma from perceived racism. Yeah, I would love to hear more about what you're seeing and hearing in terms of the mental health impacts of all that's, I mean, of course, there's a lot going on, so you can't really hone in on any one thing that's happening. But in terms of the injustices and, you know, things being also so visible, like very much in, in the public eye and how what you've seen in terms of how that's impacting perinatal folks. Yes, for sure. Um, so I, what I am noticing is, especially for those individuals who may still be in the workplace, meaning going into buildings other than their homes, is this, this difficulty kind of entering that space. And I think the uncertainty that comes with like, where do people stand? So, mm-hmm. for example, if I'm working from home and something happens, there is, you know, an incident that has happened, then if I am in my home, I connect, you know, with whomever I feel like I need to connect with around that. I'm, you know, seeking support. I'm talking on the phone with people that may help me to kind of work through, you know, in some ways what has felt like like the next thing, the next Mm -hmm. death, the Mm -hmm. next life that has been lost, you know, the next protest. There's, again, like you said, there's just been so much. And so, you know, sometimes going physically into a workplace, especially, you know, depending on the environment, there can be this sense of, you know, does it feel safe? And how safe is it being um, in this environment? Um, Are people going to um, even acknowledge it? which I think is a big thing. Like, you know, you can have this experience of, you know, going into an environment and almost being like, okay, it's another day at the office, Mm -hmm. so to speak. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for those who are impacted, regardless of, you know, your race, gender, you know, regardless of all that, you know, we can all be impacted by everything that we've seen. Mm -hmm. And so going into these spaces, you know, is there acknowledgement And sometimes um, what I'm hearing is there is not (laughs) the lack of acknowledgement of what is happening in the world and um, in our communities. So, you know, it may not be, you know, something that seems very far away. It could be something that's happening in your own community. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that lack of acknowledgement adds another layer of stress. And I think, you know, certainly for someone who is pregnant or postpartum, you know, you, you think about those added stressors and, you know, just how do you manage that? And one other thing that I've noticed is, you know, for those who are pregnant and, you know, especially I've noticed this with um, African-American women and birthers, you know, you hear, and you have heard, like, especially within the past year of, you know, what's happening with black maternal health and, 
you know, there's lots of different ways that people talk about it, but to be a Black birther right now in the midst of a pandemic and in the midst of all of the information that's out there in some ways can be helpful, but imagine how overwhelming that also is. Right. That I'm, I am, <laughs> you know, one of those people, you know, who all these statistics are about. And as I'm preparing for birth, not me personally, but, you know, mm-hmm. for someone mm-hmm. preparing um, to give birth, that's a scary thing to mm-hmm. think. Am I going to be okay? Am I going to survive this? And so in a lot of ways that can, I think definitely has added to the stress that many birthers, especially birthers of color are feeling right now. And I think that's just notable, something Mm -hmm. that has to be understood and um, also held. Right. Right. And I, as you were talking about it, I'm thinking like there, there's a a conscientiousness about, you know, like you were saying, the statistics and um, having all these facts and and figures. So there's, you know, the part of awareness that's just like front and center. You you know these these numbers, and that's yeah. that is, you know, scary. And also, mm. there's just like a feeling in the air too. There's a tenseness. Yes. There's like a very visceral feeling of just, you know, how things have been here, specifically speaking in the U.S., but I'm sure other places too, but in terms of just racial tension and like Mm -hmm. you said, not, not knowing if like the provider you're going to have is going to give you adequate treatment or, or, you know, even for some people believe them when they're talking about their experience. So it feels like very, just like very on a conscious level and just kind of all around you and, and not an unconscious level, but just ways that you're, you might not be able to put into words. Absolutely. And so, yeah, when you when you put yourself in the minds of, you know, someone who's pregnant at this point, you know, whether they're, you know, a person of color or not, it still is like there is just so much that's Mm -hmm. there. But especially, I think, for Black birthers, there really just is so much that you are, I think, contending with on top of whatever mm-hmm. else you kind of have going on in your life. <laughs> you sure? You know, it's just this extra layer of things. And so, you know, one of the things that, you know, is I think I found helpful is just giving space for clients to be able to talk about that and yeah. um, to, to release those, you know, the emotions that can be really pent up and, you know, to talk about, you know, what sort of things can you, you know, put in place and, you know, just kind of trusting the experience because yes, there, you know, there are the numbers, there are statistics and each one of those numbers, that's somebody's mother, that's mm-hmm. somebody's relative. Um, so all of those numbers, they're not just numbers, they matter and they count. Yeah. And, you know, also, you know, really looking at each individual person that, you know, we touch as, you know, therapists or providers in terms of, you know, providing support and services is like, you know, how do we allow space for those conversations, you know, encourage things that we know work like having Mm -hmm. doulas. We know that that is um, effective in supporting outcomes for um, maternal health, especially Black maternal health. So, you know, encouraging those things that we know work. Those, I think, are things that can really be helpful for birthers during this time period. Hmm. Yeah. So uh, really having adequate support, 
I'm just thinking back to the during the pandemic when people weren't even sure if they could have their partner in the room, let alone, you know, support and of anybody else. But now that things are, you know, getting well, quote unquote, better, <laughs> it's more likely they could possibly be in the hospital birthing room. But even just yes. if it's at home, having some kind of uh, support from from somebody who can guide and support you uh, is very worthwhile. Absolutely. I think, honestly, there still are, I think, quite a few restrictions like on having doulas. But, you know, the really cool thing is I think many doulas have, you know, started doing virtual um, yeah. and, and being there whatever way they can. And um, I think I I could not say enough about even having a postpartum doula. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot more discussion about the fourth trimester and some people are even saying there's a fifth and a sixth. And mm-hmm. so I think, you know, beyond all of those trimesters, it's really like there is so much more that continues to happen emotionally and psychologically and physically yeah. uh, beyond the birth. And, you know, how are we um, providing support, putting things in place proactively? <laughs> Because we do know that there can be so many challenges. And, you know, it's been really nice to, for me to have these experiences of, you know, being able to see um, people who are pregnant and then seeing them postpartum and then maybe pregnant again. Mm-hmm. Um, because one of the, you know, things that I think also is beneficial is having people, you know, continuing to work on, you know, anxiety, depression, grief, yeah. loss you know, before they even, you know, start um, that journey, if it happens to be kind of in between pregnancies, um, because, you know, all of that work that people are doing, you know, to develop skills and to process and kind of let go of things that have, you know, burdened them, those things really can support, you know, pregnancy and mental health and well-being for subsequent pregnancies and, Mm -hmm. you know, for child rearing. And so that, you know, is really exciting to not just thinking about the fourth and fifth trimesters, so to speak, but also even, you know, before you begin that process of, of conception and, Mm -hmm. you know, really understanding, you know, your experiences, what you need, especially, you know, for people who've had, you know, I don't want to seem like I'm harping on trauma, but who, who have had trauma and especially sexual trauma. And then you have birth and all of the ways that that can be so intrusive. Um, And so being able to, you know, be in therapy and have that support and feel like you have resources, there's just another level of agency, I think that can really occur when that happens. So I'm like promoting therapy throughout the lifespan. How about that? <laughs> yes, yes, I'll second that for sure. This episode is supported by Hungry Root. I am a creature of habit when it comes to food. Like I buy the same stuff in the store and generally make the same stuff over and over. Not really that fun. So in order to shake things up, I use Hungry Root. I can pick a whole meal and they send me what I need to make it, but I will also just let them choose so I don't get into my rut. And it paid off. I got the chicken shawarma non-flatbread. These are flavors that I wouldn't have thought to put together on my own, and they totally work. It was so yummy and so easy to make. And bonus, I also received for free organic roasted chicken breast that I threw into a salad for another meal. Hungry Root is my partner in healthy and yummy living. Right now, Hungry Root is offering Mom and Mind listeners 40% off your first delivery and free veggies for life. 
Just go to HungryRoot.com slash cat to get 40% off your first delivery and get your free veggies. That's HungryRoot.com slash cat. Don't forget to use our link so they know we sent you. This episode is supported by Factor. Eating better is better with ready-to-eat Factor meals. And ready-to-eat means pop it in the microwave for two minutes and done. I mix in a few of these meals into my rotation for the days that we're on the run or that I don't want to make anything. I chose the high-protein and calorie-smart options, one of which is the mushroom chicken thighs and wild rice with garlic-roasted green beans. This is restaurant-quality and so tasty. I can adjust how many meals I get in my order as much or as little as I need every week. Plus, I can pause or reschedule my deliveries anytime, which comes in really handy for our busy schedule. Head to factormeals.com slash momandmind50 and use code momandmind50 to get 50% off. That's code momandmind50 at factormeals.com slash momandmind50 to get 50% off. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think, I know to your point earlier when you were talking about your personal story, and I'm also reflecting on my own, um, is that, you know, sometimes we don't even know that we've had trauma Mm. uh, and we don't really know what it is, but maybe there's some, you know, I think it's totally reasonable to want to avoid thinking about horrible things. Mm -hmm. And so I I think, you know, a lot of people, well, anyway, some people don't want to go to therapy. Like maybe they want the Mm -hmm. healing, but the talking (laughs) through stuff is hard, but it's so hard to imagine that, that like getting the support of a therapist can relieve that. And can help that. So I, I really appreciate you harping on it and and yeah. championing therapy because I think the more that people hear how beneficial it can be and how nice it is to have that support through, you know, pregnancy and subsequent pregnancies and, and getting that healing in. Yes, it's hard, but it, it also makes everything better in the long run. Absolutely. And I think, you know, even as we, you know, have those conversations with clients, um, that it is going to be difficult going in so that there, you know, there are not these illusions of, well, I've been here, you know, four weeks and I don't feel better. Right. <laughs> Just like, yeah. I know it's a process, but, you know, also it can be a really difficult um, process. But it, the nice thing is you don't travel that road alone. Like, yes. you know, you're working with someone who can, you know, hold that with you and mm-hmm. walk with you and talk mm-hmm. about different ways. And I think sometimes it's like amazing for people to realize I don't have to function like that. Like, yes. I've, like I've functioned in the past, like, oh my gosh, there's this whole new way that I can be and this mm-hmm. whole new way that I can function. And they didn't realize that. And so I think it's especially, you know, um, amazing when Um, you know, a person who's been, you know, pregnant or, you know, just having a pregnancy and they go through the process of therapy and they're working on things and they're talking and developing new skills. And, and some, you know, sometimes even being on medication, it's like, oh my gosh, like I never knew my life. (laughs) Right. And it's so hard to imagine when you're in the depths of something that you like, what better would feel like. Um, Yes. Yeah, but you know, you know, because you see the transformation all the time, right? It's the best. Exactly. <laughs> yes, I it's know. So- it's just kind of trusting the process. <laughs> yeah, which which is hard to do, especially if you've been, um, you know, like you're saying, through traumatic things. It's a little bit hard to trust um, processes sometimes. But, uh, you know, the the healing 
process is pretty miraculous. Um, it is. It is. And everyone's journey is so their own. That's right. That's right. I will say one other um, quick thing um, just about, you know, just observations and trends and things that I'm yeah. seeing in practice is um, also a greater interest in therapy. You know, now I don't know, you know, what's happening in um, your area, but Certainly in our area, there seem to be more people needing services on wait lists and Mm -hmm. trying to get in and get appointments than sometimes there are appointments available. And, um, and so I think that that is telling that people either have had positive experiences and know that it's been effective and want to try it or want to come back to that. Um, or either are really feeling like, okay, I need something different. And I think this could be the thing that helps. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's been something really important and positive, you know, throughout this process. And I also, it's been, I think, certainly there've been challenges with it, but I think it's also been very empowering for people to see that I can live through and shift through a lot of different things and be able to see and identify like things that help them to get through like their Mm -hmm. faith or just, you know, getting into different, you know, social groups, even online and having that support and accountability. And so it's been also, I think, really empowering and powerful to see that, you know, even as I'm navigating and maybe utilizing um, therapy or trying to get to the point that I can utilize therapy, that there are other things, other strengths and assets that I have that I can really capitalize on and that have either already helped me get through something like, you know, the bulk of this pandemic Mm -hmm. um, or just even other things. And, you know, as you mentioned, um, for parents who they weren't even able to have anybody come into the room, or maybe there was just one person, just the ways that other people have kind of stepped up, the people who could be in the room (laughs) and the people that, you know, are there. Um, So it's been, you know, really, I think, awesome to see some of these other changes and shifts as well that in addition to some of the challenges. Yeah, absolutely. I I see that same trend here and I'm hearing that from people all over this drive to to go to therapy. It's like, all right, pandemic, fine. Fine, you win. Finally gonna like go get some support here. I, I think it's really, you know, in some ways pushed us all to some new edges our stress and, and um, man, having to manage stuff that we've never had to manage before. This is, this is new stuff. Oh, and then sure. having a pandemic with a pregnancy and, oh gosh, that's, that's a whole lot. It is. So yeah, I've been, I'm seeing an uptick for sure. in people reaching out for support, which I'm so grateful for, um, yes. that, you know, that we have these avenues now, especially with virtual sessions and yes. whatever else to make this happen. Because, uh, man, if we didn't have this technology. Oh, oh my goodness. Uh, yeah. Oh. That'd be really rough. Yeah. Really, really rough. Um, okay. Yeah. I'm gonna, so I'm definitely gonna, some positive things there. Yeah. I'm, I thank you for, for bringing that in. And I'm so appreciative of the, uh, you know, the uplifting of therapy in general. I mean, I, you know, both you and I know how helpful it is and try and get everybody to do it. But sometimes I think just hearing, you know, from people and professionals like you who see how transformative and supportive it can be, it might just give somebody out there that encouragement. Yes, I would agree. I would agree. 
I really appreciate so much all of the perspective and insight and depth that uh, you're bringing for us today. And, you know, with the, with the hope of therapy and all that, what, what are some things or and one thing that you'd like to leave with our listeners for today? Yeah, I think just, um, I would say, trying to take a risk. I know, in, you know, thinking about therapy, um, and people talk about therapies, some people actually don't even know what therapy is. And so they're like, eh, people talk about it all the time, but I don't really know what it is. And <laughs> you maybe go sit and talk to people and that sort of thing. And I, you know, I'm not the type of person who likes to talk about myself. And so, you know, just, you know, for transparency's sake, you do talk about yourself in therapy, and it really is an opportunity. And it's an opportunity to grow. It is an opportunity to develop skills that may help you in your, you know, just in your general coping, but also with your journey of parenting. Mm -hmm. And so what I'd say is, you know, to the extent that you feel like you can take a risk, find a therapist that works well for you. It maybe has, I always like to encourage people to, you know, check out your therapist. Like, you know, if there is a website, you know, check out the website, read what they're about and find someone who you think will be a good fit for you. And then, you know, take the risk, take the step to utilize something um, that has the potential to be very beneficial. It's not the end all be all. It may not work for everyone, but it is something that certainly can be very beneficial, especially for those who are pregnant and postpartum for that extra support. Fantastic. Yeah, thank you so much. And so we'll wrap up with that. I appreciate your time and for you giving us some of this really good information and, and perspective today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you again, Dr. Alfred, for being with us. If you guys would like to get connected with her, please go to worksoffaith.net or at Dorina Alfred on Instagram, and be sure to check out her book, Pregnant with Promise. Thanks to all of you who are listening. I really appreciate if you can share this episode with anybody who you think could benefit from this kind of support and this resource. Thank you so much for being with us. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.